Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Listeners gain the opportunity to connect with someone who may have had similar experiences and in the process may look at themselves differently. Facing adversity is not uncommon to women, but the stories of how some have overcome these challenges and achieved success inspires those still struggling to find their own purpose. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Please join in this important conversation with Susan Rocco, Mondays at 2 p.m. on WWDB AM 860 or anytime at womentowatch.net. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be here every week with some wonderful women in the Philadelphia area and across the country as well who are doing some amazing things. And I'm very happy today to have Melinda Emerson with me in the studio. Uh, Melinda is, uh, her brand name is Small Business Lady, and she has actually been titled America's number one small business owner. So thank you so much for joining me today, Melinda. Thank you so much. You know, my, my call me for short, small biz lady. That's how I'm known. Small biz lady. Yes. Well, you're very well known. And, I, <laughs> and I've done my homework and I, I see that you really have a wonderful uh, audience and uh, group of followers around the globe who are listening to you give advice on uh, entrepreneurship and small businesses. Um, but as I always do on my show, the first thing we're going to do is find out about you and your background. And I wonder if you can talk uh, to me about your years growing up in Bridgeville, Pennsylvania. Well, Bridgeville is actually a suburb of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I have to say that even though I've lived in Philadelphia for almost 17 years, I am a black and gold fan. I am definitely a Steeler uh. fan. Although, <laughs> let me say, I went to Virginia Tech, so I root for the Eagles, too, because I support Michael Vick, although we don't know how much longer he's going to be an Eagle, but we are we got hope for him. Good, um, good. But, you know, growing up in Bridgeville was really, really interesting. Um, I grew up in a fairly isolated area. You know, my family, we were probably one of six black families in the whole school district. Um, so it was very isolating. You know, I grew up being the only black kid on the trip, the only black kid in the class, the only, you know, so, and that um, is a good and bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think that the reason why I am as competitive as I am today was because I grew up in that environment, but it was very difficult. You know, I grew up with people that uh, I don't, I'm not sure um, how much diversity was around. You know, I grew up in the 80s and, um, you know, I found a lot of people that, you know, didn't know black people, didn't have black friends, didn't, you know, so I, I kind of felt like, you know, people were always looking at us like we were a little strange, um, you know, definitely being racially teased at times, you know, growing up. So um, I, I tell my friends now, I said, I don't even think I, I thought I was attractive until I was in the 11th grade oh. because of just how isolating an environment that was and, you know, being racially teased constantly and things like that. So. Yeah. Uh, what, what kinds of things did your parents say to you about that? Well, you know, my parents were um, extremely supportive and loving. I have three younger brothers. I'm the oldest. Uh, we went to a wonderful church. We have great church family. And, you know, your parents tell you you're cute, but that's like their job. You know, you don't really. Like, <laughs> you're just saying that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so it's like, you know, when you get to the problem with being teased like that is you start to believe it. 
you know, until one day you look in yourself in the mirror and you say, you know, what, wait a minute. <laughs> I think that's ridiculous. Wait a minute, you know? um, <laughs> and then a monster is born. Right. No. But I think I think that um, sometimes when you grow up in a small town, when you grow up and you're one of, you know, 90 kids, in your graduating class. The best thing for you is to leave. <laughs> and that's what I did. I went away to Virginia Tech and I completely reinvented myself. And I think that was like a cornerstone of how I've lived my whole life. You know, there have been so many times throughout the years that, you know, if I got myself in a situation that I didn't like, I reinvented. And I think that, you know, as as, as butterflies, that's what, you know, we start out as calipiters and we become butterflies. And I think I've done that, um, you know, for myself over and over again. But I don't regret any of it. I really, really don't. I mean, there was a long time when I never, ever wanted to go home. And then my father used to tell me, you know, Melinda, everybody is from somewhere. That's right. And this is where you're from. That's right. And not only that, all those experiences, because I wrote a quote that you talked about that that your dad used to say about the bad days. Yeah. So all those experiences, whether good or bad, are lessons learned. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, my father used to say you wouldn't know good days if it wasn't for bad days. That's right. He said, so you're supposed to thank God for bad days, too, because bad days is how we learn to appreciate things. And, um, you know, my father's been gone 10 years, but I still hear his voice sometimes, you know, reminding me of things. Or I hear his voice coming out of my mouth, talking to my own eight-year-old son. Um, it's funny, the older I get, I think of becoming like my parents, you know. Oh, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Good or bad, we do. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful for my childhood. I had wonderful, loving parents, um, you know, who paid for my brothers and I to go to college. And all of us are very successful. And it was because of the vision that they had for us to travel at a very young age and to have exposure to things. And I was a youth ambassador for the United States when I was 16 years old. I traveled to the Soviet Union when it was still the Soviet Union. Wow. Um, you know, so That's I had, an experience. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I was a cheerleader, even though I didn't have a lot of friends. I was a cheerleader. Yeah. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I did things. It just, was, it just wasn't real fun. Like, you know, I was like really glad to get away from those people yeah. oh, when I graduated from high school. Yeah. I'd look at you now. I know, well, right? Yeah. They're all connected to me on Facebook. It's really funny. Like, you know, like, we're long lost friends. I'm like, ah, the old bullies are coming out of the oh, woodwork. Oh, yeah. I mean, but I have actually gotten apologies from some of them. Wow. Yeah. Like, I am so sorry for how I treated you, like, in high school. You know, and I'm like, no worries. I forgot about that a long time yeah. ago and forgave you a long time ago. Because if I hadn't, I wouldn't be able to be who I am today. That's right. You know, and that's a huge, um, you know, when I think about entrepreneurship and people starting out on their own to start businesses, you really have to have confidence in your abilities, right? It's not just the um, the talent to do something or the knowledge. You really have to believe Confidence is 90% of it. Yes. Because dogs, people, children, everybody can smell fear, right? So it's really about what you believe in yourself and how you project. Because mm -hmm. if you don't believe it, why would you think anybody else would buy it? Yeah. Well, where, well how do you think, I mean, it was... It's tough growing up for kids in general. Um, and as teenagers, you're always looking around and seeing what everyone else is doing. How did you get past the um, self-esteem issues that I think a lot of young girls have? What do you attribute that to? You know what? Even though I didn't think I was pretty, I always thought I was smart. Awesome. And I think that I was kind of held on to that. Like, I was like, you know what? You, you got to say what you want to say. I know I'm the smartest kid in here. So 
I, you know, I, I, I kind of held on to that. You know, I had a three nine one grade point average. I was like, look here, you know, say what you want to say. I'm going to whatever college I want to go to. So for me, I think that's how I did it. But I also think I had other things outside of school that I got validation from. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very active in my church. I was a very accomplished singer and I competed in district choirs for my school district and my district, uh, the county that we were in. I also was very active in junior achievement. I was president of my junior achievement company. So there were other like external things that I had that I got great validation from. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, you know, well, it seems you you were you had the academics. You had the academics behind you, and if when you know you're bright, you know um, that's huge. The social stuff aside, yeah, I mean, I just think it's hard anyway. You know, th- those years from 13 to 18 are kind of rough, just in general. They are. Yeah. Um, but I think that for me, the one thing I always knew was that I was smart, and 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 that I really think came from my father. You know, every single day, he would say to me, "You know, you can do anything, right? You know how smart you are." And I didn't realize until I got to college years later that everybody didn't grow up like that. No. That everybody's parents did not pour that into them that they were amazing, that they could do anything. Um, You know, but then my father later on when I graduated from college, he said, you know what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me, Dad? He said, you believe you can handcuff thunder. He said, that's what's wrong with you. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, you made me that way, you know. So it can reverse, it can be the reverse problem too, you know, right. teeter on the side of arrogance. But um, I think right. I think confidence is arrogance under control. Oh, right. So so, <laughs> so as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot more under control, I right. think. Well, I'm guessing your dad was he, he didn't fill you with a lot of, you know, false um oh, no. positive feedback. It was he held no, you he accountable was, he was as a well. Straight no chaser kind of a guy. Um, but my father was, he was funny. My dad was a salesman for 30 years for Kraft. did he work for? Oh, okay. He worked for Kraft. And my father was such a good salesman for sport. We used to go and watch him. So my father worked for Kraft, you know, during the day. It was his regular job. And then he worked at Sears on the weekends and worked in the electronics department. Wow. And so literally... We would go to the mall in the weekends and watch my dad sell. Like, he was that good. It was entertainment. <laughs> um, and he had this great personality. He could sell ice to an Eskimo. I mean, he was that good. Uh, you know, he could sell heat to the devil. I mean, he was just, he was, and he was funny, and he just had a great personality. But the one thing that he taught me was that you never judge a book by a cover mm-hmm. and that you can learn something from anyone. And then he said, he always impressed upon me that, you know, cleaning people and security people and stuff like that were people that you should speak to and acknowledge always because people treat those people like they are invisible. And I can't tell you how many times I've been tipped off by something that somebody had a conversation in front of somebody that they thought was invisible Mm. um, only because you just befriend anyone. And there's honor in all work, so you should never judge anyone. And I just watched how my father conducted himself with anyone. And so many times it paid off for him. And, and I think that's one of his best traits that is in me also. Yeah, that's a great lesson because, you know, in the end, we're all human beings, you know, behind every title, whatever that title might be. Exactly. Yeah. Um, tell me a little, what was your first job out of college? My first job out of college actually was as an associate producer at the NBC station in Pittsburgh in my hometown. I worked for WPXI, mm-hmm. 11 Television Hill. So I worked in Pittsburgh as an associate producer. Was your major communications? Yes. In broca- okay. I was a broadcast journalism major at Virginia Tech. Okay. Um, but I got to tell you, I wanted to be a journalist since I was in eighth grade. 
Like I knew that writing was my magical power, mm -hmm. if you will. I didn't know what kind of journalist I wanted to be, but I knew that that writing was going to be central to it. And and what did you learn from that position as a, a producer? Well, you know what? I learned that I didn't want to live in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> and so my second job in the business was at NBC10 in Philadelphia, which I luckily got to come to about a year later. So okay. I, uh, I, I I learned how not to treat people, I think, <laughs> working for PXI. I mean, but television stations in general are kind of rough places to be. But uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um, but I learned a lot. You know, I tried to learn every job I could in the building, and I wanted to be a line producer so badly. But, you know, as an associate producer, you're just like a script writer. You did a couple of segments. But I really wanted to be a line producer, and I befriended the weekend director and um, audio crew. And after everybody would leave, like at 11.35 when the news was over on the weekends, they would let me get my scripts, and I would come up there and pretend like I was calling my own show. Like oh. I would have, And they literally taught me um, how to line produce, you know, at 1 o'clock in the morning after everybody would leave the station. They wow. would let me let me call the show. And, and I'm still friends with some of those guys to this day mm -hmm. who helped me, you know, when I was just a kid and I wanted to learn. And you know how political things can be sometimes and and they taught me and I had a good enough reel that I got a job in Philadelphia so yeah. I came up here that was what I did. And what year was that? That was in 1994. Nin excuse me 1995 when I first came here. Okay and how long were you there? How long did you keep that I job? I worked at Channel 10 about two and a half years and mm -hmm. I defected across the street to uh -oh. Channel 6 Action News um, <laughs> and so I worked for, for Channel 6 for another two years and then I got out of the business. Because you felt, did, was that when you were feeling this calling to be a, more of a writer? You know what? No. I knew when I was in college that I wanted to own my own business. Now, why I never walked in the business school the whole four years I was in college, I can't really tell you. Well, but... you didn't know that yet. <laughs> you, you didn't know yet. I knew, but I didn't have a real good plan, but that's yeah. okay. But I was really inspired to start my own production company by Oprah Winfrey. You know, when I was in college was when Oprah Winfrey really started producing all that original programming with Harpo Studios and, you know, started producing other people and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, you know, she's creating her own creative product and she is doing her own syndication deals. And I just she was the first journalist I ever saw start a business. And literally because she started one, it made me believe that I could start one. So I started planning. I came up with the name Quintessence all the way back then because Quintessence means perfection. And I was like, I'm going to do this someday. And I did not enjoy working in local news. So when I finally got the shot, um, I, I took it. I left in the middle of February sweeps in 1999, and I never looked back. And it's been 15 years since then. So, and what was that first shot? Well, the first thing was starting my company, Quintessence okay. Entertainment. Yeah, right. so starting my production company. Okay, but you're a contributor to the New York Times. Yeah. Yes, and the Huffington Post. Mm -hmm. um, and what was the first uh, invitation from them that you received? Well, it all started before then with my own blog. So I have a blog that I produce three times a week called SucceedIsYourOwnBoss.com. Okay. So I wrote for myself. Then I got invited to write for Entrepreneur.com. Okay. So I wrote for Entrepreneur for about a year and a half, and then the call came from the New York Times. Yeah. And so I've been working for the New York Times almost two years now. And I've got to tell you, that's a dream job because I, bet. I went into TV. Let me tell you something. People that go into TV don't get to go into print. 
you see print people go into TV, but you don't see TV people go into print. And so it was nothing short of extraordinary that I was able to build up the credibility and the writing chops that the New York Times wanted me to write for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only African-American woman that writes business for the New York Times. So it is it is it is daunting. It is awesome. Um, and it is a dream come true. It's a heck of a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of research. And, it, it and is. is it a weekly? It is. Okay. It is. It is. I, and my own blog, Succeed as Your Own Boss, is actually syndicated through Huffington Post. So the Huffington Post reached out to me and said, hey, we like your blog so much. We would love it if you would let us repost some of the blogs off of your blog. So oh, that's fantastic. we do that as well. Yeah. Now, where did you get the business knowledge? I mean, there's really, you know, it's one thing to um, help entrepreneurs jumpstart a business. It's another thing to really know what makes a business work. There's a lot of moving parts. Where did you learn all that? I learned it all OJT. I learned it all as I did it. You know, as I started Quintessence, I was 26 years old. And the thing that I knew was I didn't know anything about business. So I turned myself literally into a student of entrepreneurship. I took every class, every course you could think of, how to write a business plan, negotiating, uh, the SBA's E200 program, the Potential Young Entrepreneur Training Program, Leadership Inc., Urban League Leadership Institute, anything I could get my hands on to sharpen my own knife and make me better in my business. I even went to Dartmouth for a program. I went to UVA for a program. I went to Harvard for a program. You know, like executive education for entrepreneurs. And really, that is how I learned the do's and don'ts. And then I just learned from all the expensive mistakes that I made. You know, my book, Become Your Own Boss in 12 Months, is nothing more than me writing down all the mistakes I made so that other people don't have to make them. Yeah. And that's really important. We're going to definitely get into, you know, the mistakes that small businesses make. And then, of course, the things that make them successful. I have a question for you. There seems to be um, a big movement with women right now globally, um, stepping in and stepping up, as I say, into businesses. Where, what do you think kind of um, fueled that? I think the recession fueled it. I think people are tired of being worried about whether or not they're going to have a check every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And now women, particularly baby boomer women, actually the fastest growing segment of women starting businesses. Right. But women are starting businesses at two to one and women of color are starting businesses at three to one of, of everyone else. So there is a movement afoot for people to take back control of their lives and their schedules and finally live their passion and get paid to do it. So That's right. it's a really, really exciting time for entrepreneurship right now. It really is. And there's a lot of support out there. And we'll we'll talk about that as well. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be in the studio with Melinda Emerson, America's number one small business owner. We'll be right back. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks. And some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the Mutual Fund Store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face-to-face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your Mutual Fund Store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. 
To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash wpn. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Women to Watch on WWDB AM Talk 860. And I'm in the studio today with Melinda Emerson. And Melinda is America's number one small business expert. And uh, Melinda is... She's an author. She's a speaker. Um, she's a contributor for the New York Times. Um, and she works with small businesses to kind of uh, consult and help them either jumpstart a business or tweak it or, I'm sure, do lots of things that need to be done. Um, just before the break, we were talking about why women in general, there seems to be this influx of women entrepreneurs. And um, I think that we're all – it's a wonderful thing, and it is happening. And I wonder how women – you know, once you figure out what it is that your talent is and that you can turn it into a business, what are some of the things you can do to kind of separate yourself from the pack? In other words, whether it's uh, someone starting a cupcake business from home or someone going into retail or something even bigger, what are some of the small steps you can take to, um, to, to set yourself apart? Well, you got to take a look at the competition and figure out 
what it is that you could do to stand out from them. But let's take a cupcake business, for example. Maybe you specialize in kid birthday parties or you specialize in wedding cupcake stacks, you know, something like that. But you need to figure out your niche. Let's say you are um, a funeral home. Right. And you're a woman owned funeral home or something like that. Well, how you say thank you for the business could be something that could make you stand out. I remember I had a client years ago that used to send clocks to the families after the funeral service engraved with always remember the good times. You know, that's such a small thing, but that's something that family would never call another funeral home. You know what I mean? So you got to think about what is it that you can do to create an emotional connection with your target customer? If you do that, you will have a customer for life. I like to tell people you have to figure out what your moonwalk is. Remember, Michael Jackson was famous all over the world. But when he did the moonwalk on Motown 25, he set himself apart from every other pop star out there. Every other dancer. It was that. Yeah, that one move. It was that sensational. So you have to figure out what your moonwalk is. For me and my business, it was my nickname and how it all came about. I am small biz lady, and that's how I'm known around the world. And that was an accident that happened to me. When I first went out to Twitter and I put my name in, Melinda Emerson, it came back. That name was already taken. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And literally, I was on the phone with my publicist, and she was like, well, we got to come up with a nickname for you. I was like, nickname? What do you mean? Literally, in a matter of two or three minutes, she said, how about small biz lady? And I was like, bam, great. And you know what? That was the best branding accident that ever happened to me. Because there are thousands and thousands of small business experts, but there's only one small biz lady. There, there's only one Melinda Emerson. That's I mean, there right. might be another one <laughs> there, with your there name, actually, but she's separate. not you. <laughs> right. You understand what I'm saying? So for me, it is that, and it's my mission. My mission is to end small business failure. And every single thing I do is about that. Whether it's my blog, Succeed as Your Own Boss, my books, How to Be a Social Media Ninja, or How to Become Your Own Boss, or my column in the New York Times. I'm always teaching people how to avoid the booby traps that are out here waiting for you potentially in business. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the mistakes that small businesses do make because there's probably people listening that are right now trying to launch a business and they're doing some of the wrong things. Well, there's really five reasons why I think small businesses fail. And the first reason is because people really don't think about what their life is going to be like running their business. They think some magic fairy is going to come along and lock and unlock the door every day at their business. Right. <laughs> no, it is actually them. It's you. you know, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, in the first few years of a business, your business owns you. You don't own your business. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to be really willing to put in that discipline and energy to to get your little seed from the ground to turn into a tree, you know, and you've got to be willing to work that hard. The second reason why small businesses fail is because people have no network to sell to. Ninety percent of all small businesses get business from referrals. So your network is your net worth when you start out in business. But too often, people with no friends will start a business. It's amazing. Like, you know, people who are bad at keeping in touch with people. Don't return people's phone calls. They're don't not even, nice. No, yeah, like don't send out <laughs> holiday cards. It's like, and we'll call you and try to get you to buy something from that. It's like, wow. <laughs> really? You know? <laughs> and the third reason why small businesses fail is because people simply run out of money, right? So your business is an airplane, and airplanes use a runway to take off. Well, cash flow is what the runway is. So people simply run out of runway. They run out of cash flow before they have the chance for their plane to take off. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth reason is because people chase anybody that they think has money. 
They don't have a specific niche. They don't have a specific customer. They spend more time planning their vacation than they do how they're going to, you know, who is their paying customer. They couldn't tell you. They can tell you about their logo. They can tell you about their location. They can tell you about how beautiful their invitations are to their grand opening event. But if their life depended on it, could not tell you who their specific niche customer is. Yeah, that's huge. And then the last reason, and this is the deadliest reason, Susan, if you don't manage your household with a budget, guess what? You won't manage your business with one. And successful businesses are run based on up-to-date financial information. By the 15th of the month, you need to know how well your business did last month. Don't let your fear of math be the reason why you don't know how much profit is in every sale. You need to use financial information to make business decisions. And that's probably the biggest, deadliest thing I see around here. Yeah. Not paying attention to the numbers. Not at all. I mean, yeah. a lot of people have glorified hobbies. That's what they have. They don't have a business because profit is how we keep scoring business. Mm -hmm. So if you don't, if you're not even close to a profit and you don't even know it, you are in trouble. You are mistaking busyness for business. Well, here's my question. There's a lot of creative people that just really are not good at math and numbers. And is can you recommend um, a, a program or somebody they should look to to help them with that part of the business? Well, I think for people that are sort of like super left brain, you know, like those the creative people that don't want to deal with the numbers, you got to get a business partner. You got to get somebody who is anal about numbers. You got to get somebody to help you um, in your business or you've got to hire someone to help you. Right. I think it might be best if you get a partner when you know you're like that. But I also think it's, it's something that you, you've got to measure. You've got to really think about mm -hmm. because a partnership is a marriage. And you need a prenup agreement for that, too. <laughs> well, you got to really you got to find that right person that, you know, the back and forth is working. But the biggest thing you got to really look for in a partner or somebody that you hire that's going to be dealing with your money and your accounting is trust. Right. Because you can teach anybody accounting software. It's about do you trust this person? Because so many small businesses, I've even had this in my business, you know, get take advantage of people very close to you. Yes, that's very true. Um, here's something I want to know. How do you do this? You're you're writing and you're speaking and you are consulting and you're doing a lot of different things. How do you manage your day? How do you organize yourself so that everything is getting the proper attention that it deserves? Well, the one job you didn't throw in there is that I'm also a single parent. So. You, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> so, I mean, I organize my way this I organize my day this way. I don't ever try to do more than five things like five main things in a day. And I try to do them before 11 a.m. So I organize my day where I drive my son to school every day. I don't talk to anybody on the phone at all before 10 a.m. ever. Unless That's your it, role. Unless it is a dire emergency. Mondays are my day. It's just a writing day. I don't do any meetings, any appointments. That's all I do is write on Mondays. And then I, I work out, I schedule time for myself in my schedule. But again, I focus on five before 11. Mm -hmm. And that's how I stopped. I used to be one of these people that had this never ending to do list. So at the end of the day, I would look at my list and I maybe got 13 things done. And I still had 24 more things on the list. And I would feel like I was a failure, like I didn't get anything done. Mm -hmm. And then I read this book called The Seven Minute Difference about five, six years ago. It changed my life. 
and I stopped doing that. And now the night before, the you know, before I leave my office every day, I make my list of my five things I'm going to tackle the next day. Anything I get done after that is gravy, mm-hmm. but I focus on my top five, and that's it. I love that because that's realistic, right? And you can do five things in a day and then feel that you've been productive. Absolutely. And they might be, you know, three really big things, time consuming things and two little things. Yeah. It might be call and order the cake for my son's birthday party. You know, it might be that might be <laughs> one of the, the top of the list, you know, but but some of them might be like, you know, more intricate things that take more time. But it is very important that you not feel like a chicken with your head cut off every single day, like you're completely in reactionary mode. That is not the way to get a lot of things done. And I think a lot of people do that because I know people. Yeah. Do, I used to be one of those people I know people are doing that yeah you hit the feet you you know you don't even think about it you wake up every day in a race right that's no way to live that's right yeah just slowing down trust I, I'm the same way and and when I learned later in life to just slow down I accomplished so much more exactly it's 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 more quality I think it is it is I mean I work very very hard and I work a lot but I don't I work to live. I don't live to work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or wait, I said that wrong. I, I work to live. I don't live to work. Right. I used to live to work. And there's a lot of small business owners that are workaholics and they've ruined their relationships and ruined their relationship with their kids being like that. Right. I do not do that. I stop my day most days at 530 and I go and pick up my son or I take my son to karate or, where, you know, whatever else. I become the taxi for the evening. Um, and then on Wednesday nights, I do my live show on Twitter every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. So Wednesday night is my night that I work late. Um, but that's it. Yeah. And I also I don't have my cell phone beside my bed. I'm not taking phone calls all day and night. I plug my phone up downstairs in my living room. Anybody that really knows how to call me knows my home number. You know? Really? You have a landline? I actually have a landline <laughs> phone, yes. I didn't think anybody had a landline I still anymore. have a bat phone in my house, <laughs> and people who really know me are allowed to call it. You know? The light blinks red. <laughs> Absolutely. But I also try not to be on the phone when I'm with my son. You know, I don't want to be that mom out at the ball field with the phone to my ear. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. You know, you're seeing um, you know, emails and texts, and you're getting the calls, and you think, I really want to address that. But you really have to... You have to stop yourself. You know, you really do make, you do. make the choice. And that's, that's funny because that's a, one of my other sayings. Sometimes you have to force yourself and sometimes you have to stop yourself. Just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, can you tell me um, a success story or two that you've had with some of the clients, some of your small business people? Oh, gosh, that, there's so that, many. It's hard to. Your favorite, maybe? You know, um, there's been some great small business owners that I've worked with. But one in particular, um, there was a business um, out in Reno, Nevada, um, that just sells uh, breakfast and lunch. They're they're a diner spot. And I found out about them because I was writing a story for the New York Times. And I wanted to find small businesses that were really doing a great job communicating with their customers. Because I tell people all the time, it's cheaper to keep a customer than it is to go out and get a new one. So I like to highlight people that are doing a great job with their customers. And so I put out a HARO query, a help a reporter out query, looking for businesses. And I got 39 responses. And the last response I read was from this company in Reno, Nevada. And they blew me away because they were a mom and pop diner that on the outside probably looked like the most unsophisticated business you could possibly imagine. And... 
they were also the most unique business that submitted to my query. So I got on the phone with them. I interviewed them, and I featured them in my column in the New York Times. And what were they doing? They were doing everything you could imagine. These people had a YouTube channel. They had an app they had developed. They had trained their wait staff that if anyone came into their restaurant and they saw a smartphone sitting on the table, that they were to offer to take a picture of them at the restaurant. So they had all these pictures on Pinterest and Instagram from fans that their wait staff was taking the pictures in the restaurant. <laughs> they, had, they had a newsletter that they sent out snail mail to 3,000 people in their community. They had what they called an egghead breakfast club that they had 33,000 people had signed up on because they go out to the farmer's markets every Friday night and sign people up that come to their little table. I mean, these guys were doing everything you could possibly imagine. They were so popular in their little local area. Bobby Flay came and did a throwdown with them in their restaurant. Wow. Now, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to run a restaurant. How did they find the time to do all that stuff? The owner and the one marketing person that they had, between the two of them, they did it all. But the beautiful story, how I got involved with them, is after I featured this business, because they were best in class of every submission that I read, they got a call from the Obama administration. Wow. And they were asked if they would introduce Mrs. Obama at a rally a week before the election in Reno, Nevada. Wow. And they called me screaming into the phone because they said <laughs> they found us because you featured us in your column. Oh, wow. That's terrific. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. I mean, and consequently, I've actually become really good friends with the owner of the company. Hey, but How's the food? <laughs> uh, you know what? I wish I knew because I've actually stinks, never gone out matter. there. I've actually never <laughs> gone out there. Um, but it's obviously good because right. they are working on their fifth restaurant and they're franchising now across the country. So Should we give them a shout out? I, w they're called the Squeeze Inn in Reno, Nevada. <laughs> the and they Inn. are And they are awesome. And they serve liquor at their restaurant. So if you want a mimosa or a Bloody Mary with your breakfast, well, you can get that. there's why the success <laughs> is coming. <laughs> but no, these guys are really, really smart. They're really, really savvy, and um, they're just really nice people. And I love it when I find a small business that is truly deserving yeah. of more sunlight on their business. Yeah, so, so, so they were absolutely great. Now, you don't only work with small businesses. I mean, that's your niche, but you do work with Fortune 500 companies. I do. And, yeah, and I tell do. me the work that you do, because you're actually, you work with them to help them uh, work with their small businesses, Absolutely. I guess. So actually, this is the largest part of my company. So my company is called Quintessence Group, and we are a consulting company where we work with Fortune 500 companies who want to sell things to small business owners. So my customers are people like American Express, Staples, FedEx, Verizon, Dell. Um, these are the kinds of companies that we work with. And we help them develop programs and innovations to develop a path to purchase for their small business customer. Sometimes it's a social media contest. Sometimes it's a full-scale marketing campaign. Sometimes it's a co-branded marketing campaign. Let's say it's a company that sells into a retailer or something like that. It's sometimes, um, you know, they don't control their market because they're a, 
a wholesaler to a retailer. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the needs are different. But I have been doing that work for the last three and a half years. And I love it. I love working with the major corporations because a lot of times what it enables me to do is give away more of my stuff free to small business owners. So I love it. It kills two birds with one stone for me. And not only that, you're probably learning things from these Fortune 500 companies, you know, a big company and how they do things and how that relates to a small business doing it on a smaller scale. Well, what I find is that they both have the same problem. (laughs) (laughs) Just on a smaller scale. Pretty much. You know, big companies have the same problem, small business companies. And what's interesting about it is it used to be that the big companies ate the small companies. Now what happens is the fast companies eat the slow companies. Mm. So the advantage is not to the big companies anymore. It's very interesting. And I'm, I'm loving it, and I learn a lot, but I, I help them understand their customer, which is what I love. Yeah, that's terrific. We're going to take one last quick break, and we'll be back in the studio with Melinda Emerson. The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash wpn. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at insourcenow.com to find the quality help you need. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks, and some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face to face not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the mutual fund store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. 
When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, Wealth Management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker Financial Advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806 or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch here on WWDB AM Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm having fun in the studio today with Melinda Emerson, who is America's number one small business expert. And we're talking all things small business, and uh, and we're learning about Melinda as well. Um, I think with the few minutes that we have left, I, I want to talk a little bit more about you and how what it is that's made you so successful um and i guess my first question is what are is one of the challenges what is one of your biggest personal challenges that you have to battle on a regular basis because we all have those you know i think my biggest challenge is i am my business you know like i'm not a businesswoman i'm the businesswoman you know so because of that you know, the need to feel like I want to clone myself is is often, um, you know, there's a lot of things I just have to say no to because I just physically can't go or, you know, I can't be away from my son. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm committed to only travel one week a month. So if people can't get me on that week that I'm traveling, my answer is no. And I'm pretty strict about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, Sometimes I'm a perfectionist. I'm very hard on myself, mm-hmm. and I have to stop that. You know, I've gotten a little better, but I still that can, that can creep up in me sometimes. Yeah, so. that's pressure. I think because um, one of the things I think that's different today um, from many years ago, and people years ago were out there running their own businesses and doing you know doing what they were doing, not really aware of everything that else that was going on. Now we hear on a daily basis how we can be better. You know how we. Can, can and should be perfect. Um, that's a lot of pressure. I think we have to, as women, sit back and enjoy and appreciate where we are. You know, the other day, I took a bubble bath. At my, it was like my, my ex-husband's weekend. I had the house all to myself, and I took a bath. And I, <laughs> and I, and I put my Shocking. hair up, and I, and I grabbed my magazine I've been trying to read for a whole week, and I was like... This is the life. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, and it was such and a you small deserve thing. It, no, it right. was such a small thing, but I was like, this is victory, you know. So <laughs> I, I just think that we have to do more of being present and appreciating the moment, mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking about what's my big picture goal for 2014. I can't tell you how many times people said, "Small biz lady, what's on the horizon for 2014? What's your resolution for 2014?" You know, I got things I want to do in 2014, but I'm trying to enjoy today. Yeah. I'm trying to enjoy this week. Well, we say that, you know, but I think often we are. What are your goals? What are your goals for next year? But I think that's a mistake. We need to think about ourselves in terms of growth 
and not goals. Because when you think of yourself in terms of goals, we as women, you know, we like to make lists because we like to cross them off, right? You know, and, and, and so what I try to do is just not even think about that. When I think about 2013, I think about, okay, how did I grow in 2013? I love that. Growth instead of goals. Yeah, because yeah. when you think about yourself in terms of goals, what do you do when you reach them all? Then you start feeling like you're a failure. Then that's how you can convince yourself that you're having a midlife crisis. No, no way. I don't believe in that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that's. I just think that's a. It's a different way to look at it because you know goals are are something that often does put pressure on you, and if you don't check that off the list, then you start feeling like a failure. You start. Right. You start that that self talk starts defeating you, and that's bad. Yeah, it's toxic. You don't need that. Right. Tell me, do you see a difference or feel a difference or notice a difference, um, I'm sure you do, working with men versus women when you're sitting down with a client and um, they're looking to you for some guidance on, let's say, uh, social media, which is huge. Um, do, you, do you find that women respond better to your advice about social media than men simply because women are a little bit more social? That's a little bit hard for me to say because so much of my audience is women. 83% of who hits my website three times a week is women. Okay. So I don't, you know, interact so, so directly with men necessarily, okay. mm -hmm. although my New York Times column is heavily men. So I have sort of like these two very different audiences. I do find that I find a lot more skeptics amongst men about social media. Mm -hmm. You know, they leave these, well, I don't think social media works for a carpenter business, you know, and then I got to go get 10 of them to, in the next story to show them, oh, yes, it does. <laughs> Let me show you. You know, so I think that men are more likely to challenge me like they still think social media is some BS, you know, I'd be like, oh, okay. Or just the well, kids are doing me, it. Let me show you how your competition is killing you with social media because <laughs> you don't believe water is wet. Okay, let me show you, you know. So um, I, I don't, I mean, but I can get pushback from women too. Mm -hmm. I think, but I, but I find that I get a little bit more pushback from men, probably. Yeah, and I, I just think it's that whole, you know, women are naturally, historically, we like to engage with others. And more women and are using social media than men. They other are. than LinkedIn, women are using every other social media account way more than men are. Yeah, give us some tips about social media, some do's and don'ts. Well, when you think about social media, the first thing you've got to do is figure out who your niche audience is. And then you got to figure out where that audience spends time online. You don't have to be doing Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Google Plus. I mean, you need to do one really, really well. Then once you start using social media, you have to use what I call the help mantra. The first thing you got to do is help others. Not out here getting trying to get a check from somebody. Just simply be helpful. The second thing you've got to do is engage people. Gone are the days of like this one-way communication. You're just going to push out crap, push out crap. No, you need to learn somebody's name. You need to show up consistently and engage and respond to people. The third thing you've got to do is listen, because you should not assume that you know the culture of the different social media sites. Facebook people do not want to be communicated to like they are Twitter people. They don't like all that hashtag stuff we do over on Twitter. <laughs> and then lastly, you've got to promote yourself with care. Nobody wants to hear, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Oh, by the way, buy my stuff. Nobody wants to hear that. What they want is to be informed. They want to be entertained. And they want to feel like you care about their success. So I tell people that they should be sharing other people's content at a four to one ratio of their own. So here's the tip. Be sweet. Retweet other people's stuff. Let me write that down. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, 
you mentioned in the break you have an eight-year-old son, and nobody wants to talk about anything other than their children, or that's the most fun thing to talk about. Talk to the audience a little bit about Jojo, your eight-year-old, and oh, what types of things is he involved in? My son loves to do anything that has to do with computers and Legos. He is already all over it. He can, grab, he can grab my MacBook Air and make a video in the backseat of the car while I'm driving home from school. I mean... He's unbelievable. The latest thing we've gotten into over the holidays is this thing called Lego Mindstorms, where you can build a Lego robot that you can actually make move and stuff with the computer. So we're working on building wow. that. So it's it's like amazing. I can't wait till he's old enough to sign up for the robotics program at the Franklin Institute because I'm already on that. Wow. All you got to do is be nine. So we've we're got one more year <laughs> and we're in the robotics program. Um, but, you know, he is a free spirit. You know, he's someone he'll tell me, Mommy, I want to be an artist, an inventor, and an engineer. And I was like, okay, baby, great. Whatever you want to do, you are smart enough. And each night after I tuck him in and we read a book, I always say to him, hey, Jojo, do you know how much I love you? He says, yes. I said, how much? And he says, to the moon and back, mommy. I said, that's right. That's wonderful. And when I'm traveling, I say that to him. When I'm with him, I say that to him. Because I feel like when I'm gone, I still still want him to hear my voice saying that to him. Yeah. What types of things do you say to him about the fact that you're working and that you're gone sometimes? You know what? He understands, and he has quite an amazing snow globe collection. From everywhere I go, I track this man down a snow globe. So he knows (laughs) that I got loot with me, you know, when I'm coming back. If you're bringing something back, he's going, when's your next trip, Mom? Oh, yeah, exactly. He's like, what do you got for me? You know, so he doesn't even, you know, it's like I'm the one that's broken up when I drive away to the airport. Not him. He's like, bye, Mom. Right. See you later. You know. (laughs) Bring me something good. Exactly. And he, he's a Cub Scout, loves being a Cub Scout. So uh, that's new for us this yeah. year. So he's doing some great stuff. That's awesome. Um, before the end of the show, there's probably only a couple minutes left. I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that are coming up that you offer, some of your workshops and how people can get in touch with you and actually receive your services. Absolutely. So we've got my Become Your Own Boss in 12 Months, my book that gives you the guide to transition from having a job to starting your own business. And also starting February 11th, we have my Become Your Own Boss Mastermind Group program. So I'm going to be leading, I only do this twice a year, my six-week Mastermind Group program. So if you go to my website, succeedisyourownboss.com, you You will get all the details you need. If you're ready to start your dream business in 14, I will show you the way. And then we have some great stuff coming up going into March is my actual 15th anniversary in business. We're going to do 15 days of giveaways in March. So people got to tune in. And obviously, you can always join me on Wednesday nights on Twitter for Small Biz Chat. So it's Pound Small Biz Chat. And you can follow the conversation. And we always have a great small business expert to talk about some aspect of starting or growing a small business. But if all else fails and you don't remember anything else, just Google Small Biz Lady. You'll be able to find me. Small Biz Lady. Um, Before we go, tell me one last tip that you would like to give a woman who has been out of the workforce for a long time, and she has an idea now, and she wants to launch, not launch, start her business. Well, the first thing I would say is that she should make a list of 25 to 30 people that she could call and ask for either referral or directly for business. Right. That's a great The second tip. thing I would say is a good idea is still a good idea three weeks from now. Do your homework and make sure you know exactly who your paying customer is and get that website tight because your website is your number one sales tool in business. 
And even if you have a beautiful website, if you don't know who you want to read it, it's not going to it's not going to help you. Exactly, exactly. Make sure you're building a list. You should have three to five ways to engage customers on your website to give you their email address because the contact list is the most valuable thing in any business, particularly if you're trying to sell online. Okay, terrific. Can Give your website one more time. It is succeedisyourownboss.com. If you can't remember that, though, smallbizlady.com as well. Okay. Uh, Melinda, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the hour. I think the audience t- is going to take away some really good tips from you. I really appreciate the time, Sue. I enjoyed it. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. And again, my name is Sue Rocco. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to give me a call at 215-313-5561. Have a great week, everyone.